Anyway. <laughs> oh, brownies. Stop. Gross. Seeing Red, the pod, episode 39, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today are Melody and April. Hey, ladies. Happy Sunday. Hi. Hi. It feels Hello. like we're getting back to normal. It's like, oh, it's Monday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> April, how are you? I'm all right. It was a beautiful day, and I went walking with the kids and some friends outside masks on the entire time for two hours that's wonderful gorgeous i uh did a skill pop class and learned how to Mm. make homemade pretzels and that was pretty fun cheese turnout i (laughs) she saw you guys it was like i don't know what i did wrong or maybe it was right because i'll be honest it was very tasty but it was like cheese taffy or like you know, like the cheese used to get with the crackers and a little red stick when you were a kid. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like that cheese, but tasted good. <laughs> anyway, it was very strange, but I put it on the pretzels anyway. And it was fantastic. Do you <laughs> usually use cheese or mustard? What is your preferred pretzel condiment? Um, I like both, but I mean, it's usually cheese. April? Just salt. Just salt. Whoa. Yeah. Rebel. Salty April. Uh, Stephanie, <laughs> do you do salt or no salt? Oh, salt. Oh, yeah, Not too sure. much, though. That's, you know. Yeah, I actually scrape about half of it off if I get it somewhere, but. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I live in Nebraska. I don't need any additional risk factors for hypertension, you know. <laughs> so. Oh. Anyway, they were, they were fantastic. Doesn't so. Ricketts put us all at risk for hypertension? Yeah, because he's an <laughs> idiot. If you have Ricketts anyway. for a governor. Yeah, and, and any amount of compassion, right? <laughs> well, let's, we've got so many bills to talk about today. Mm. Like, so many. Okay. As a reminder, okay. bills are introduced for the first 10 days of legislature. So we're almost there with the end of bill introduction. This coming week, the uh, week of starting on the 18th, we still have a few more days of bill introduction, but um we've got i want to talk about i want two things everybody if you're listening to this pod you have to do or you uh are kicked out of the seeing red fan club um one Mm -hmm. you have to find out who your senator is if you don't know already if you moved if you live in omaha or lincoln for example or i think nebraska city they split senators down between the city so it's not one senator for the whole city. You need to look up and find out who your senator is. I know we all love Megan Hunt. I know we're so excited about Terrell McKinney. I know people have all kinds of love for Adam Warfield. That's fine. Patty Panting Brooks, she is the shit. She is phenomenal, right? I know. But they're probably not your senator. In fact, none of those people are my senator. Um, I think, Stephanie, you have Patty Panting Brooks, don't you? No, Adam Morfeld. I do ah, love Patty. Morfeld. 
I do love Patty Panting Brooks, and you have a fantastic senator. A I new, have a new senator, um, Elliot Bostar, who's my new senator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. April, who's your senator? Um, Matt Hansen. He's yeah. a good Hansen. We're all winners. And he, I know, and uh, he can be like he's like a lower profile than some of the big names, but he's a steady. You can count on him to be on the ball and do the right thing. Absolutely, he's very, very heavy policy wonk, which is like boring, mm-hmm. and most people aren't paying Necessary. attention. But it's it's so <laughs> critical. It's so critical. So I just want everyone to figure out who your senator is. You go to NebraskaLegislature.gov. Okay, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. And on the left hand or the right hand side of the screen, it says, find your senator. You enter your address and the website will tell you. Okay, so do not tell me how much you love Megan Hunt and how you email her every other day, but you don't even know who your own senator is. Okay, that stops today. Figure it out. Number two, there's all kinds of bills that we care about. And you maybe have a single passion. Maybe you have a multitude of passions. I don't know. But as you are finding out bill numbers of things that pique your interest, maybe you really want them to pass. Maybe you really want them to fail. Maybe you just want to follow the debates because you want to learn more, whatever. Um, Nebraska.gov slash bill tracker. You can watch up to 15 bills for free. It's a Nebraska state service. It is the best bill tracking service for our state. And I know there are other, there's federal national advocacy groups. They have all these bill tracker things but they're getting their data from us, right? So it's it's usually delayed. You want to use your state's bill tracking service and that is nebraska.gov slash bill tracker and you can track up to 15 bills for free. They'll send you an email every time the bill moves. And so that's just um, the best place to track bills. Okay. Guys, do you think I covered that? Do you have any yep. remaining questions about following bills? I don't have any questions about that. I do have a different question. What's that? Melody, can you tell us which bill thus far you are most excited about? We're going to start off good because there's a lot of garbage coming our way. You know, I think the one I am most excited about is tipped wage, eliminating tipped wage as an employment level for minimum wage, which is uh, a Megan Hunt bill. And it's LB-122. And for anyone who has been in the service industry, if your employer marked you as a tipped wage worker, you were making $2.13 an hour. And in 1994, I started waiting tables. And the minimum wage for tipped workers was $2.13. It is 2021. (laughs) It is 2021. How is that? That's over 20 years. Mm -hmm. So Megan Hunt wants to eliminate that. I think it's going to be incredible. It will, it will provide equity to the serving labor force in, because I'll tell you, I remember being 16 years old, waitressing at people and I had to wear an engagement ring. I was like a fake engagement ring so that I could immediately thwart off invitations for dates or sex from customers at Pizza Hut. Yeah, it was, ew. And, but you can't be rude to them because otherwise you don't get paid. And it was, it was stuff that was really either overt and sometimes it's benign, 
right? Sometimes it's just this like old lady who goes, oh, you're left-handed. <laughs> I bet, I bet you would love my grandson. He's left-handed too. I should set you guys up on a date. Oh, wouldn't that be so cute? His name's Jared. Blah, blah, blah. I shouldn't have to put up with that at work at 16 years old. And I should not. And if I say, you know, I'm not really comfortable talking about my personal life with you, I shouldn't get my pay docked, which is what happens when you're a tipped worker. You get your pay docked um, because you're not nice to people who are rude to you. And then the other thing I used to get as a tipped worker is sometimes you'd see like a $5 bill or a $20 bill tucked under a plate and you pull the bill out, but it's a fake money. It just looks like a money but you open it up and it says disappointed you wouldn't be if you had jesus and i'm like you know my car insurance is disappointed but i can't <laughs> afford it <laughs> like what mm -hmm. no you cannot pay your tip with jesus folks you can't do it you so, know anyway I like that's why i am excited it just has such a personal meaning to me what are you guys excited I about well, I wanted to say on that bill, oh. what I like about it is it, I feel like it's um, doubling up and I'm happy about that because um, Biden, his 1.9 trillion, you know, dollar plan includes eliminating the tipped wage nationwide. And that is part of his big package. It has to go through Congress. So who knows if it'll make it through. If it did, holy cow, great. If not, we got Megan Hunt looking out for Nebraskans. So I like that. Well, and it's amazing if you can get it at both state and federal. What some people don't know is that, right, like we don't have, we have a right to have abortions if we want to have one. We have a right and it's a federal right, but it is through the judicial branch. But here's the deal. A lot of states have abortion prohibitions, they never removed them. So if at any time at the federal level, the right to an abortion is revoked, all those state laws immediately go back into effect. So it is really important when the federal government says, hey, we're going to do something really good. It's important to double up at the state level because if the federal government ever repeals it, you still can count on it at the state level. So this, I don't know if everybody knows that, but that is why often politicians try to get it done at both levels. Right. Stephanie, you got a bill you're excited about? Senator Wendy DeBoer is working to expand coverage for childcare. So the wage at which your childcare subsidy is eliminated is very, very low and in, low in annual income. And so people make great strides on securing jobs. And as they make just a little bit more, then they lose something that is so important to people's independence, you know, having good quality child care for your children while you're at work or at school. And so um, I think that that's something that's really impactful in our communities. And I'm happy that she's working on it. And isn't that threshold really old? Like it hasn't, that's why it's so low. I think that, I mean, a lot of the thresholds, I mean, they, they're tied to the federal minimum or federal poverty line. Um, mm -hmm. Usually it's some percentage of that, but um, you know, somebody could go make an extra $150 a month and then have to pay entirely for childcare, which might be $1,200 a month. And so it de-incentivizes people moving forward when they're going to lose something that's so essential to them being able to work at all. So totally. 
Yeah, more access to daycare is essential. It's essential for families. April, what bill are you excited about? Well, I'd say there's a couple. One that I don't think has gotten a lot of attention yet is LB 356, increasing access to SNAP. It would eliminate, the state has chosen to impose a qualification that eliminates people who've lost other public assistance because they're like a felon or something also can't get SNAP. And that's a choice that Nebraska has enacted, that money's there, it's federally available. We are just preventing more needy people from getting food, a basic human right. And so I would really like to see that one pass. You know, it's so frustrating because we pay a lot of money in federal taxes and it really makes me mad that places like if you live in California, that my federal tax money is working harder for Californians than it is for Nebraskans. And that it is a choice made by our state government that our federal tax money doesn't work as hard for us as it could. It's just really gross. Like when earlier this year, when Ricketts did not accept the, um, the, SNAP benefits that were extended or whatever from COVID. He was just like, nah, he said, Nebraska's need to get back to normal. And we were like, what? (laughs) With a lot of pressure though, he changed his mind on that one. So he did. It took a few months, but yeah, no, Nebraska Appleseed did some fantastic work to pressure him. And um, I'm excited about the pressure they're going to apply to give people basic human rights this year. Kind of feels like, why does it sound like we're talking about a third world country? (laughs) Mm, That's always the question. Erica. Okay. What's the next bill you guys want to talk about? Uh, Um, I have another labor rights bill. COVID protection rights for meat packers. Senator. That's the one I was going to talk about. (laughs) Ah, Senator Vargas and Senator Hunt are working on it together. Yeah, we know how hardly hard they were hit and that nothing was done and the employers have practically no responsibility and that's gotta change. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well and Vargas actually had an incredible he got um, space in the Washington Post to talk about how terrible the labor conditions are for meatpacking workers in Nebraska. And mm-hmm. it's not just in COVID times, it's all the time, Yeah, but it is especially worse in COVID times. The headline talked about how they're having to work for hours in a blood-soaked mask. Nobody. I cannot imagine. Nobody should have no. to live like that. <laughs> no, nobody should have to live like that. And, and I don't want our consumer goods to be produced like that. No. No. I, I just don't understand. I was watching a YouTube video on a little cheese shop in France. And they were showing how they make this all this cheese and they make it 
in using all these artisanal methods, although not in the hipster artisanal way, but just like they've made cheese like this for centuries in France kind of way, but is what I mean by artisanal. And he was the, um, the head cheesemaker was saying like, yes, it is a lot of work to make cheese this way and to make it, or no, it wasn't cheese. It was butter. That's what they're, they're making mm. butter. And they, it is beautiful when they get done with their butter. It is beautiful. It comes in shapes. It comes in, it's pressed, it's wrapped beautifully. And the paper looks a certain way. And but, they were saying it- that beauty and art matter. It's important to food Mm -hmm. that just like consuming, consuming, consuming is not the way to express your humanity. It's just not a way that he would ever want to live, even though he could certainly make more money if he sold it faster and did less. But he's like, but this isn't how we should be enjoying our food. Part of the food experience is knowing how it was made, seeing how it was presented and then using it yourself to make your foods. And it was so opposite of how I think about how we eat in the United States. We are fine with bloody soaked masked workers butchering meat in the most cruel way possible. And then we want to eat it as cheapest and the biggest portion size possible with cheese sauce all over it. Cheese taffy. Cheese taffy all over it. You know, like we don't, and we I know, but, I know but, but most importantly, do those workers that make those beautiful cheese art, do they have freaking fundamental human rights? Right. Well, they live in, they live in France. So they have socialized, they, they have socialized healthcare. They don't pay for university. They have right. six weeks of vacation. Right. They have a year of maternity leave. So yes, <laughs> they have, they have human, it doesn't have to come from the cheese shop. It comes from the government. So yes, they have it. And the cheese shop doesn't even have to worry about it because everyone just gets it as a basic human right. It's not up to your employer to decide if you get human rights in France. I just can't. I just, it's so, it's such an amazing idea. <laughs> I know. I know. Do we, have, do we have any good bills left? Cause I can't handle these. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate what Tony Vargas is doing. I hate that, that that's what he needs to be spending his time working on. And it really bothers me. I got um, a good one. Yes. LB 358 is um, tenant protection. It protects him from retaliation, from reporting about um, things that are wrong or breaking um, of the lease agreement because often they're retaliated against and often they are low income and immigrants maybe don't speak English as a first language and they're completely taken advantage of. But even if you're not, this is a bill that will lift all boats right mm-hmm. uh, I you'll be surprised a, to hear that's megan hunt's bill again we're just yeah. gonna it's just like megan hunt megan hunt megan, megan hunt, hunt. Megan. um i was in college and i was uh renting a place with two friends and i put down half of the deposit instead of a third because the third gal wasn't here when we put down the deposit she was like not living in here for the summer And when I moved out, they chose to continue their lease without me because I was moving out. And the landlord refused to give my deposit back and said, well, I don't have to because not everyone on the original leases has left. And I'm like, no, the person who paid it gets their portion back. That's how it works. And I, I was like, I don't know, 19 years old. And I had to get 
legal help from university legal services to, wow. and I had to spend in college, I had to spend like 40 bucks to get it um, certified and delivered by a sheriff because he kept claiming that I hadn't contacted him. Oh and so gosh. you can't pretend that the sheriff didn't give it to you. And then as soon as he got it, he was like, oh, she never called me, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, mm-hmm. I got my money back, but I couldn't afford to lose that money in college. Oh, my God. And that is um, an incredible amount of money. Even just the $40. I'm just thinking back to when I, I was 18. Was I'm like, $40 is a lot. Yeah. And like, yeah, even like gas was cheaper back then. So $40 was Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm for old. sure. That was three I'm tanks old. of gas. Well, I drove, the, no, so, I drove a very large car. That was not three tanks of gas. <laughs> it was not three tanks of gas. <laughs> but in high well, school, that's how old I am. It was 99 cents when it got really low. Yeah. Mm. We'd be like, we would give each other money for gas. I'd be like, here's two bucks. <laughs> I used to have a plastic like watering can for children. It had like a flower for a watering spout. And I would charge people for giving them rides and they would put, I'd be like, I'm going to need 50 cents. I'm going to, you know, and they would just put money in the jar. And then when I ran out of gas, you know, if I had five bucks, that was a significant amount of gas. It was awesome. Yeah. It'd be like five gallons of gas. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I do remember that. One thing I, we, we should be watching for this in the tenant protection bills by Senator Hunt. And I'm sure she read this article that came out today by Chris Dunker, he wrote an investigative report on the federal um, eviction protections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can read it yourself to get the nitty gritties. It's in the Lincoln Journal Star on um, January 17th. But it basically what he explains is that while we enact protections for vulnerable people, we often create these bureaucratic barriers for them act to get the protections. So mm-hmm. for this eviction process, a lot of people don't know that they aren't by default given protection from eviction. So then I they do don't end up going to court, for example, and then they get evicted and they're like, wait, but I thought I had a protection here, but they don't. There's a process they can go through, but unless someone tells you that when you just see oh we have protections you just think you're protected but that's not how it works and the landlords they all have lawyers and they understand exactly how to get you out and so they are incentivized to make sure you don't know there's nobody on your side if you're about to get evicted so I thought that was interesting and I certainly didn't know that I thought people just by default had eviction protection I did too and but that makes true. more sense to me because I couldn't figure out why there were still so many evictions happening. I was like, if there's a moratorium, yeah. how are they happening? Well, now we know. Right, we because they have to like opt in it. procedurally. Right. Yeah. And if you but were like, on the where verge was of that eviction. Information? Well, and if you're on the verge of eviction, you have to think about like what's going on in your life. Okay, let's say yeah. you have children. Let's say you, what are you doing? You are scrambling to put food on the table. You're scrambling to pay for medications. You're scrambling to make sure that your children 
who are growing out of their clothes, have clothes that fit correctly. You just ran out of toilet paper. You, I mean, nobody is like, you know what? Let me go and calmly and rationally go through this whole paperwork quagmire about the eviction process. Because you are at the most heightened level of anxiety, a basic need, food, shelter, clothes. You're about to lose one third of the essential human needs you need. So your brain is not functioning on all cylinders at that moment. You're like, how are we going to survive? So I, I, so it'll be interesting to see how um, Hunt's bill, like what it looks like for enactment. And I'm wondering if she's going to be rethinking it also in light of Dunker's reporting today. So we'll see. Any other good ones? Good bills on our list, yes. Um, again, Megan Hunt. All the good bills are from her. Um, mm-hmm. We, she is pushing for telehealth to do medical abortions, and what that means. A lot of people don't really know what that means, but um, I took a class on this, so I know a little bit. But basically, if you're in the first twelve weeks of pregnancy, you can take two pills and they're it's pretty low risk for side effects if you don't have any kind of pre-existing conditions and things like that um and it just you kind of like have a heavier period kind of thing and it all you can sort this all out at home and you don't need to be seen by a medical professional you can literally you just take the two pills so and if there's complications then you go to the er Right. So there's no reason we can't use telehealth for a doctor to say, oh, you would like you are pregnant. You would like to get an abortion. Okay, I will prescribe you the two pills that you need. Here's the process to make it happen and call. Go to the ER if you have any of these kind of complications. Right. So she's pushing for that, which will be a really great bill and add just one more layer of protection for people to get accessible health care, no matter where they live around the state. Because as we know, there aren't in-person abortion providers all across the state. Sometimes people have to drive hours and have multiple appointments. So this will cut out all of that and just make medical care accessible to everyone who wants it. I have a couple other bills I want to hit really fast. Um, Morfield, Wishart, and Day, maybe some others are co-sponsoring LB-474 to legalize medical cannabis. They're going to try again. And again, this is kind of an example of doubling up because they're also planning to do a petition drive because it was so close before. And so it's kind of like the petition drive. We'll get it one way, we'll get it the other. The petition drive, though, allows both uh, medical and recreational. Yes. And to me, it seems like if we don't get it, at least we could do it this way. Do you know what I mean? Um, Jen Day also has, she's got several, and I don't know enough about them all to talk about them, um, but she's new. And so that's cool that she's already proposing some great stuff. Um, One that I'm aware of is um, protecting income for educational support workers in case of pandemic sickness. So like a lot of them in other parts, like, I don't know, LPS seems to be treating as far as I know, like paraeducators and stuff. Yeah. Paraeducators and stuff, I believe are getting the same 
um, COVID time off and things like that. But there are some districts and especially like smaller ones um, where they weren't protected and they weren't given the same support. And then even last year in the spring, when we never went back to school, it was all every single district had to decide, can they still pay their people who aren't working? Because like teachers were still working, right? We were doing this in one way or another, but like a para who works one-on-one with say an autistic child, they can't do their job on Zoom from home, Mm -hmm. you know? So that'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Yeah. Oh, I have actually, I wanted, I actually missed this bill on the list of things that we're happy about um, because I'm really happy. It was just like a whole Senator. (laughs) So he's not in the bill list. He's kind of separate on my paper that I'm looking at, but um, (laughs) Terrell McKinney, he Mm. has taken the seat of Senator Ernie Chambers and he was endorsed by Senator Chambers. Uh, Senator Chambers campaigned really hard for him. And he has come with very highly celebrated by black leaders in the North Omaha area, which is who he now represents. And he did not come to play. His bill list is incredible. So, The very first bill he brought forward was LB 349, create Al-Haj, Malik, El-Shabazz, Malcolm X Day, and establish a holiday. I'd love to see that. I've long thought, like, there are so many important leaders of the civil rights era. Mm -hmm. Why is it only MLK when we have how many holidays for dead white guys? And Malcolm X is from Omaha. Yeah. So that just makes sense. So I love that. I just thought that was... What a way to kick off your legislative career. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I, I don't believe, Senator McKinney, I don't believe he has any previous policymaker experience. Hmm. So this is his first action, full stop. So I also, just, that was awesome. Can I just take oh, a minute he- and congratulate him for his um winning the race to represent his district and the legislature, because apparently our governor is incapable of that. Oh, he's a racist. I will keep my words. So this, <laughs> the governor does a state of the state to kick off the new year. And this, he does this every year. And one of the things he does for a new session after an election is he congratulates all the new senators by name. There is a photograph where you can mm-hmm. clearly see a reflection of the teleprompter. Terrell McKinney is listed and the governor skipped his name. He's the only senator that was not named by the governor in his speech. And, and this he hasn't is the given same like a, what's public up? apology or he hasn't given a public apology or anything. I think like he did, did give a week. He, give, he gave a week on like, Twitter? oh my bad. Yeah. I was, I, it was just an accident. My bad. Yeah. Whoopsies. But like, this is the same Senate. This is the same governor that scheduled an execution on the birthday of Senator Ernie Chambers. The senator who worked for 40 years to repeal the death penalty actually repealed it. The governor purchased it back through a ballot initiative. And then he scheduled the execution on Senator Chambers's birthday. So he is petty. And He's evil. Evil. 
He's both. He's petty Ugh. and he's evil. So okay. make no mistake, it was not an accident. That is um, that is how the governor wanted to welcome Senator McKinney to the legislature, loud and clear. Okay. And, and so, so now then, you were... what's up? What's we're up? supposed to be talking about good stuff. <laughs> I, was I, got good stuff. I got distracted. I got distracted. I was going to say sorry. some good stuff about McKinney. <laughs> well, so he's got a whole list of bills that are yeah. all incredible. He's got... Um, and I haven't read them all, so I don't know about everything, but, but like, subjects. he's got employment protection for all characteristics associated with race, culture, and personhood, including hairstyles. So he took the hairstyles bill from last session to protect uh, black hair as a, per, you know, so you can't be fired for having natural hair. And he took it one step forward. So he's even going further. Um, require landlords to comply with the law. What? Um, he's <laughs> changing the minimum wage. Let's pay laborers a fair living wage, right? Um, he wants to decriminalize marijuana possession. And then, so that's really great and give people a clean slate. And then of course, um, there are always legislative re resolutions that just about milestones in people's lives across the state. And he put forward a resolution to thank Senator Ernie Chambers for his service to the legislature and, and congratulate him on his incredible career of public service. So he's got, he's got an applied financial literacy. He's got innovation. Um, you know, like I just looked, bill. his minimum wage would be up to, it would be $20 an hour by 2032, which is a long ways out. It's again, awesome. It's it just goes a dollar every year. It just goes yeah. up. And and here's the thing that it is clear to me Senator McKinney recognizes. And um, I think, you know, Senator Hunt recognizes this also. If you show up to the table and you say, hi, I would like to raise the minimum wage by one dollar. Your opposition say, whoa, 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 a whole dollar. We can't be doing that. What? And so they will make you back it up and compromise because everybody loves a compromise, both sides of them and all that nonsense. So then you end up doing a 25 cent an hour raise because that was the compromise. But if you show up and you say, okay, here, I want to do a minimum wage increase by $100 an hour. <laughs> Just say whatever you want but make it big. And then the compromise ends up being $10 an hour. Let's just say more. Uh, you win, right? Like you could actually get to where you want it to be. But if you don't ask for more than you actually need, you're not going to get what you need. You have to ask for more than you need. And then you do have to compromise and work your way down. That's just how politics is works. That's how the game is played. So if you don't ask for enough, you end up getting less than you need. And he clearly understands that. And I love it. That's how I feel about progressivism in general. That is why we talk about progress. Like sometimes people say, think we're all, we're de all Democrats on, on seeing red. And I don't always identify with that. I mean, I end up mostly voting that way. And I do support that party over Republican party in the state, but First and foremost, I'm a progressive who wants big change. Oh, big, yeah. Huge. Yep. Um, 
yeah. So Terrell McKinney, uh, he's a win all the way around. All his bills look fantastic. And I love that he just came right out of the, you know, right onto the floor. And he's like, I've got big things to do. I did not come here to play. And I love it. So now we have to talk about a few bills we hate. Can I start? Yes. Okay. Thorn in my side. Uh, LB364 school voucher scheme is back. It's brought by Linehan, who is like the last remaining uh, villain (laughs) on the education committee. So school and vouchers is school always vouchers are, framed as school choice. Can you yes, explain what the problem is with it, that? We call it the voucher scheme because that's what it is. And we've talked about it on this pod before. But basically, voucher school or voucher programs mean that you can choose to take quote unquote your tax dollars and send them with your child to a private school. And the thing is, and we have the experience from other places all over this country, it is a slippery slope. It never stops there because vouchers don't solve the underlying problems, okay? And so you take these tax dollars out of public schools and then you wonder why the public schools aren't working. Gee, because we're so well-funded now Come on. And so then you create a drain on that system. And then what we've seen all over the nation is that it incentivizes this push for charter schools because then now your public schools get worse and worse. And so then people start looking for alternatives. And so then, you know, your state government says, well, we clearly need something better than private schools. It's time to adopt charters. And then you get charters. And then charters don't have to let in all the kids. And they don't have to take the sped kids. And they can kick kids out. And they can require all kinds of things of parents. And things that public schools can't do. And they give them every advantage. And then despite all of that, all over the country. And this is not a one-off. This is a pattern. The money doesn't go to children. It goes to CEOs who actually own these schools. And then they'll close on a moment's notice. And you have no schools to go to. Guess where those kids go? Back to the underfunded, understaffed public school that's been sitting there, you know, languishing for years. Not only that, they're not only are they rife with stealing money. They're rife with um, cheating schemes um, on standardized tests. And the number one most important thing is that they do not have any evidence. They have not outperformed public schools, period. A few, a small percentage will perform the same as public schools. They do not outperform public schools. And so you're just creating a parallel system and you're creating unnecessary, I don't know if rivalry is quite the right word, but sort of, and it's bad. And Nebraska, you know, we have good schools and I see, you know, I got friends in Washington and they're a blue state, right? And well-funded, but you know what? They don't know jack about special ed out there and it's a mess. And 
you go um, some places in the South and they have the worst textbooks with terrible stuff in them. You go um, to big cities where they don't have air, they have air quality issues on Goodyear. And then you talk about COVID. Oh my God. You know, like in Nebraska, we have money and we've been able to, for the most part, keep on up on a lot of that. Um, Lincoln in particular has really worked hard on that, but um, nothing in Nebraska compares to what you see in these other places. Even Iowa, where I grew up, you know, like everyone in every state took the Iowa test of basic skills, right? Because it was like the best. And um, Iowa has just gone down the tubes. They've stopped investing. They do allow uh, charters. They don't have very many yet. Um, they push for the same stuff. It's a pattern and we're not going to allow it. And thank you for letting me get on my soapbox. <laughs> you know, one thing you didn't mention in your soapbox speech is that, <laughs> well, I think it was like, like important when people talk about, I want to move my money for my kid mm-hmm. over here. Um, that's not actually how it works. Most school mm-hmm. funding is it, if you had five kids or 500 kids, you would need, you still have to pay for the building. You yep. still have to pay for the administrative staff. You still have to pay for the teachers. You might the be able to have like one or two teachers, piece. but if you have one kid or 20 kids, that's one teacher, right? So you can't mm-hmm. divide up the 20 kids and go, well, 10 of you can go and take your money with you. Well, you you didn't pay the teacher 50% less. You still have your teacher that you have to pay for. So that's just not how um, school funding works. And the other thing about school funding is you don't pay taxes for your children to go to school. I think that's really Mm -hmm. noxious messaging that we're giving people that impression. You, you pay school you pay taxes so that you don't live in a country where people don't understand how government work and then storm your national capital because they're stupid. <laughs> like this is the cost of defunding schools since the eighties. This is the cost is where our country is dumber. You pay your taxes so that you live in a community full of educated people. It's not about your kids. You may not ever have kids and you still have to pay your school taxes and you should be glad to do it so that there aren't a bunch of idiots running your community because they do grow up and then take jobs that serve you. They might even be your boss one day, the kids of today, you don't know. And you want them to have the best education possible. That's what you're paying for. It's not about your own kids. The one other thing I always think about when I think about vouchers and charter schools is that um, funneling money out of public schools into private schools um, and charter schools disproportionately impacts the most vulnerable children in our country over and over and over again. And Um, the other one thing else I didn't mention is that um, Teachers are not treated as well. They're often paid less and they can block them and prevent them from joining unions, which would help them be better teachers, help them live stronger, better lives, right? Like I wish everybody could be in a union and we're going to just fund another system that allows them to discriminate like that. 
Mm -hmm. Um, I have a soapbox to get on. Yeah, go for it. I want to talk about Stand Your Ground. It's a gun bill by Senator Salama and then a whole bunch of other ones. That's funny because that's not what they're calling it. No, they're not calling it that. So did you talk about it last week? I feel like you did a little bit. I don't think so. Hmm. No, we talked about, no, no, no. Last week we talked about the Second Amendment protection (laughs) law by Erdman. That was a different bill. Okay. Go on. Sorry. (laughs) I'm sure I didn't talk about this because it came out last week. But so we have Stand Your Ground and it is LB 300. And it came out last Tuesday. And Senator Slama is trying to tell people it's she's trying to do castle doctrine. Castle doctrine is a really popular gun policy. It means if someone is breaking into your home, you can kill them without penalty. And you don't have to try to run away, even if you can. Even if it's really easy for you to get away and be safe, you don't have to. They come in your house, you can kill them. Okay? And we already have that in Nebraska. It is already illegal. It is already legal to kill someone who breaks in your house. You can just stand there and calmly shoot them. They don't even have to be really, you don't really have to prove anything that they were threatening you or that your life was in danger. Just by like breaking into your house, um, you can kill them. So we already have that law in the books. And what Senator Slama is doing is she is expanding it. So castle doctrine always means your house, right? She wants to expand it to your car and your workplace. Well, one, castles do not drive down the road. Okay, castles don't drive down Main Street. That's not a real thing. Um, That is stand your ground. When you start leaving your house and you say like, oh, if someone comes into your workplace and you don't have a duty to try to um, get away, if someone tries to attack you in your car and you don't have have a duty to just drive away you're in a car just drive away um she wants it just so that you can kill people without getting in trouble what this bill what this kind of stand your ground policy does is it ends up increasing your homicide numbers in your state and of course we know when homicide numbers go up uh black people are disproportionately affected and specifically black men and black children And we saw this in Florida, right? So there was a 17-year-old boy who was doing nothing. He was standing there in a hoodie, and a man thought he was too scary looking. The man called the police. The police said, well, just don't do anything. We'll come and check it out. You just move on with your life. And he thought, you know what? I'm not going to, and I'm going to kill the 17-year-old kid. And then he did kill the 17-year-old kid. Uh, That was Trayvon Martin. And that man went to court and the court found, yep, he stands your ground. As long as you think your life is in danger, you get to kill someone. But your life doesn't actually have to be in danger. An unarmed teenager looking too scary for you was reason enough 
um, for him to get a death sentence by a resident in his community. That's what Senator Slama is doing with her bill. And that's why she's not using stand your ground and she's trying to call it castle doctrine, but that's, we already have that in Nebraska. What she is pushing is stand your ground and she knows it. So cars and business in your place of work are not your castles. It's not no. even the same. It's, it's not even your property. And you know, road rage is already a major problem. Oh my God. Yeah. And I can't even imagine if you, uh, but you know what? I appreciate that Slama and Ricketts already have a plan. I mean, they're going to build this, you know, they want to build this new prison. So like all these additional, <laughs> you know, murderers will have some place to go. It'll be great. They won't go there yeah. though, because she's writing the law so they don't have to go. Then they need to get it together. <laughs> oh, fair enough. One or the other. <laughs> fair enough. All right. Are we done with the bad stuff? Because I have a shout out. Yes, I want to hear your shout out. Okay, well, I have two today, actually. Um, I want to give a shout out to our friend Christy in North Platte. Um, <gasps> Hi, Christy. Christy, we love you. Maybe come chat mm-hmm. with us someday about what being a progressive in the middle of Nebraska feels like. Yeah. Um, Wait, isn't she also, way on the western side of Nebraska? I didn't think she was yeah, in the middle. She's, she's outside of North Platte. I don't know Ugh. where that is. Poor North Platte. Far, North far Platte away. is the place. North Platte is the place where Grony comes from. <laughs> the armpit of America. Where, yes, there's a there's a huge mess sure problem where there was. <laughs> oh, Grony, stop! Gross! I cannot think about his booger eating ways. Gross. Okay. It, okay. So shout out to Christy. Okay, my second shout out, I don't know if anybody watches TikTok, you guys, they have some pretty funny things on TikTok and it makes my brain feel less, less anxious sometimes. Anyway, I stumbled upon this video that had me laughing to the point of tears and then I looked at like the handle and the handle was North Omaha Cat Lady. So you gotta oh, go. You gotta I love go. Her. She's hilarious, you guys. Oh my I goodness. I love her on TikTok. You hope she amazing. She's amazing. So, North Omaha um, Cat Lady, if you listen to the, the pod, we watch you on TikTok. You. you make me cry tears of joy. And she has some really funny names for the <laughs> the outgoing, uh, I don't even know what to call him, that person that's leaving on Wednesday. Really hilarious, you guys. She's super creative. I think she should write a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I have a shout out for a book that I'm reading that mm-hmm. is... Excellent. Me too. What you got? <gasps> you too? Um, mm-hmm. Okay, I am reading The Water Dancer by Tanihisi Coates. Mm-hmm. It is so good. It's, it's, and I think one of the things I, well, I really like, uh, I'm, uh, I like fiction. Uh, especially historical fiction that kind of speaks bigger truths. And I like this book. It's about a man who is in, he is born a slave and then he kind of is navigating that world and it's telling people stories and it's, I don't know, it's showing a really ugly side of slavery. I mean, there is no good side, right? But it's showing more like personal stories of how things might have happened. And But then it also is showing 
you know, he's in Virginia and that's really close to the North and he's trying to work on the underground railroad and it's talking about all these different trade-offs. And there's this part where things are happening in the book where he has to kind of think through the morality of sometimes when you're in a war, you make choices that you wouldn't make otherwise because they make you feel conflicted morally and ethically, but also you're in a war. And so, but, and you have to win. So then what does that leave you? What does that do to you? How does that impact you? And I don't know. I It's just like, it's interesting reading through some of those, um, wow. some of those struggles that he's going through as he's going through his life. So would highly recommend it's, and it's also just, it's reads like you're watching a movie, which I love it when books read, like I'm watching a movie. Um, I just like, I have trouble putting it down. I'm like every night I'm like, I have to go to bed. It's one in the morning, but I want to read one more chapter. What's going to happen. So it's (laughs) super great. Would highly recommend. Um, I have been reading, I'm going to talk about the author, Wes Moore. Um, he wrote a book a few years ago called The Other Wes Moore, um, which was based, which was true. Um, he grew up in uh, Baltimore and uh, he grew up, they both grew out in, in bad streets, you know, um, single moms, ran into some trouble with the police. Um, but he managed to grow up, become a Rhodes Scholar, um, a decorated veteran a White House fellow, a business leader, and he runs now um, a nonprofit um, in Baltimore. But um, when he was, I don't know, a young, younger adult, he found out there was another child named Wes Moore who grew up in his same neighborhood who ended up what? like the complete opposite. Uh-huh. So that's a good book. And the line from that book that just stuck me is he says that, and because that Westmore ended up in jail, you know, he said the chilling truth is that his story could have been mine. The tragedy is that my story could have been his. Right? Yeah. So that's the other Westmore. But now Westmore now, um, the Rhodes Scholar one, <laughs> um, he lives in Baltimore. And um, in just this summer, his newest book came out called Five Days, The Fiery Reckoning of an American City. And it is about um, the aftermath of the Freddie Gray murders by police in Baltimore. And um, he follows, he's done extensive journalism to like back this up. Um, but they, it follows a story of like, I want to say like seven different people in the community. Um, you know, some in that neighborhood, some one is like the Baltimore Orioles owner. Um, one is like the leading the protesters in um, on behalf of the Gray family, um, things like that. One was um, the famous, you might remember this photo. There was um, a young man on a bicycle with a gas mask on in front of a line of police and he was like round riling up the crowd you know and it kind of became a symbol of this you know this riot protest kind of happening because there was a lot of damage and stuff but it followed his story 
and how he got there. It was just fascinating. And it read like a thriller, except the crazy and terrifying part is it's true, right? Um, the only barely at the end delved into part of what happened was a lot of stores had been broken and looted into, including some um, pharmacies like a local CVS. And at the end, they found out um, one of the people in the story, she's a lawyer, and she saw a guy running out with a big bag of like a garbage bag full of stuff out of the CVS. And she recognized him as a cop. And he was part of this drug task force. And he, after that, he was selling all that, all those CVS drugs they stole, that he stole, selling them on the streets. And he's a cop. And it wasn't just him, this whole thing. So there's like this whole other book I got to read next because it's just, oh my God, Baltimore needs so much help. Um, But a whole nother book about um, that drug task force and how it was like, the most corrupt group of police like ever. And this was just a couple of years ago that they got busted. Oh God. That is wild. That is wild. I really want to, I'm putting that on my reading list. I will say for people wondering what book should I read next? Seeing Red, we have a book list. All of our pod recommendations are on the book mm-hmm. list and even more recommendations than that are on the pod are on the book list. You go to seeing red Nebraska, click on fight back, which one of the ways you fight back against a shitty country is pushing education. Okay. So that's what we do. And you can find our find and buy great books link. And you'll go to our bookshop page and the very first list you're going to find is Roxanne Gay's book club for 2021, guys. Roxanne Gay, who has Nebraska connections. She graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She is this incredible author. She has a book club in 2021, which I haven't even started on the first book called The Removed by Brandon Hobson. But I do want to eventually read all these books. But just know we have them all. Um, there's Righteous Nebraska Women, so women who are from Nebraska and wrote good books. You won't believe this, but Roxanne Gay's on there. Oh, <laughs> we've got a Simone Sanders book. We've got um, this book just came out. Lacey Lamar wrote You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey about racist stuff that happened in Omaha. But I think it mm-hmm. might also be a little bit funny um, the way that she writes. I think I haven't read it yet. Mary Pfeiffer, Jane Clebb. More Roxanne Gay, more Roxanne Gay, um, Jenny Capo Crusay, Emily Danforth, um, Charlene Butts Lingen. Her mom was one of the original civil rights leaders and she runs the Sarby County Democrats, right? So there's like all kinds of great women's books. All the Seeing Red podcast recommendations are in there. Things are guest recommended. So that's kind of a hodgepodge of books. Um, you'll find it, who knows what in there. Capitalism sucks. We've got a category about that, required anti-racism, resistance, and progressive books, and Nebraska history. We only have one Nebraska history book, so if uh, people have recommendations, let me know, but there's only one book in that category, but it's there. So check out our book list, and and 
buy books from there. If you buy books from there, it does support independent bookstores and it supports the work we do here at Seeing Red. And you get red books. So it's kind of a win-win-win all the way around. Did you read the children's category off? Oh, uh, where is my children's category? Oh, I know I didn't scroll down far enough. Uh, oh my gosh, we have that so many children. Yeah, the joke is we're indoctrinating your children in all the best ways. Yes, <laughs> we have children's books. We have um, authored and or about um, Black Indigenous people of color from Nebraska. Um, one of the books in that category is called Nafaro, and it's about it's by a 14-year-old kid in Lincoln who wrote it. And he just oh, yeah, got he just a legit it. publishing deal. So amazing. And again, if there's books that you think we should add on these lists, you know, give a shout because we're just a glorified blog doing our best. So we don't assume that we have all the books there that we could. But yeah, go there to find books, buy books, some of the best books, um, you know, you're like, what should I read next? There's our recommendations. Awesome. That's a great way to end. Bye, Yay. Books. Hey, Bye real, books. Real quick, Melody, you're going to make a list of some of the uh, legislative bills we've chatted about today in the yep. show notes. I'll put them in. The, it will be a long show notes, but the I'll put them ever. <laughs> the longest, longest ever. Longest ever. Shout out to the North Omaha Cat Lady in our show notes. Kind of like this episode. Oh, I will. I will shout out to the North <laughs> Omaha Cat Lady. Maybe that'll be the pod title. I don't know. You'll have to see. I, I, I think that will be very work. confusing to people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Ladies. Okay. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, 10 or $20 a month mm-hmm. donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.